Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a joy and privilege that you and I have to share in this special way, not only as we enjoy fellowship with each other, but as we worship the living God. Let me remind you that you may communicate your prayer concerns or other messages to us using the email address that's printed on your screen. You may also send in your financial support through the address that's on the screen. Our Monday evening Bible study has resumed. They're looking at the parables of Jesus. Our weekday pastor-led Bible studies also have resumed in looking at Paul's letter to the Romans, and our Sunday morning Bible study group continues as they look at the book of Exodus. You may be in touch with us through the addresses printed on your screen in order to register or simply get more information about who, how you might participate in these very, very uh, important and meaningful and encouraging studies of the Word of the Lord. I'm happy to report that the blood drive we'll have on the campus on January 24th is already fully subscribed, but occasionally we have vacancies at the last minute, so if you'd like to get on the waiting list, be in touch with Allison Noon. We'll have a new member seminar on February 7th uh, on a Zoom format. If you'd like to become part of that group to think about joining our church or to learn more about it or the, to go ahead and continue with that process, we'd encourage you to be in touch with Neil Pressa. Let me say a word about the backdrop that I have with me today. Later on in our worship, we will be ordaining and installing a new class of elders and deacons to serve in the life of our church. And I have several symbols that represent the ordained ministry of our church. Up here, I have a copy of the Book of Confessions and the Book of Order. They represent the constitution of our church, and our elders in particular are led and, and instructed by both of these documents. We have here a basin and a towel, a classic Christian symbol of service, recalling Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And that is a wonderful symbol to associate with our deacons who are engaged in ministries of service and care, not only for our congregation, but for the broader world around us. And then, of course, a cross and a Bible, arguably the two most important and universal symbols of Christian faith because, of course, how they share with us and how they describe to us the meaning and message of the life of the Savior of Jesus. To my right here, I have three of the stoles that your pastors often wear in worship when we're at the church on Sunday mornings, of course. And even though we associate stoles with pastors, it is actually the case that the stole represents the yoke of service, our uh, bondage, if you will, in a very positive way to Christ and our service to Him. And that is something that all of our officers, our ministers, our elders, and our deacons uh, promise uh, and, and, and intend in their lives, is to be bonded to Christ and to serve Him. And these stoles represent that yoke of service. So I have these things here with me because later on in our worship today, Today, via a recorded Zoom format, we're going to be ordaining and installing folks who have offered themselves in service to the church, and we'll be talking more about that as well in our morning scripture and morning message. Well, let's prepare, folks. Let's continue to center our 
minds and to focus our souls and our hearts and to ask the Lord to come and to be with us, to inspire and guide us as we say to him what we believe and what we hope and what we trust. And let's do that as we are called to worship in these words from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who have pleasure in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Friends, let's worship God. prophet Micah asked the question, Humanity, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? And oftentimes we are complicit or are silent in the face of injustice or commit or are complicit with injustice or don't love kindness or don't walk humbly with our God. And therefore we are invited to confess our sins, our transgressions, our iniquities, the ways in which we have broken God's heart. Let us confess our sins together. Your grace, O God, has appeared for the salvation of all, calling us to renounce false gods, fruitless pathways, and joyless fear. In the midst of our sin, Christ has appeared as a sign of our hope, redeeming us and calling us to be a people eager to do your will. We confess our vain self-worship and our neglect of your children. Forgive us and empower us to live upright and godly lives in the world. Make us zealous for good deeds in response to your wonderful deed in Jesus Christ. Through Christ we pray. 
Amen. Sisters and brothers in Christ and people of God, receive, hear, and trust in the good news of God in Jesus Christ, that God so loved us that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, for the life of the world. By his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, you and I have been set free to love God, to love one another, to love our neighbors and strangers to the glory of God. Thanks be to God. May the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Because God has given us peace with him and with one another, let us therefore share signs of God's love and peace with each other. I invite and encourage you to do so with those who are with you and indeed throughout this day and throughout all time and every day to share the love and life of Jesus Christ with everyone that you meet. Thanks be to God. Amen. Good morning, Kids Village, and happy Sunday. This morning, we're going to be spending some time talking about your memory verse for this month, and it comes from the book of Luke, chapter 16, verse 10. So if you have your Bibles at home, go ahead and pull those out because I'm going to be showing you how you can find the book of Luke in your Bibles. I have my Bible here at home, and you can see towards the beginning of the Bible, we have the Old Testament, and located towards the back of the Bible, we have the New Testament. Now, the book of Luke is the third book of the New Testament, and in my Bible, it is page 1009. It might be different in your Bibles that you have at home. So go ahead and pull those out and follow along with me as I read your memory verse. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. This verse ties directly to your theme for this month, which is responsibility. God wants us to be responsible for the small things he's given us so that we can learn how to be responsible with the big things he gives us. The small moments might be things like making our bed in the morning and making sure that that's done. The big moments might be things like helping a friend in need or helping our parents with something that they're doing. There are all kinds of ways that we can be responsible and God wants to remind us of that this morning because he wants to bless us with the small moments and in the big moments. We also want to let you all know that this next month for February, we're putting together Valentine's bags. If you received one of our Halloween bags back in October, you can be expecting one of these bags. If you didn't receive a bag in October and would like to be on our list, please send me an email and we'd be happy to get one of those to you. If you are a grandparent and you know of one of your grandkids that would love to receive a Valentine bag, you can go ahead and let us know and we'd be happy to deliver that. Or if it needs to be mailed, we'll go ahead and do that too. So we miss seeing all of you and we look forward to seeing what God has in store for you all this new year. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye-bye. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled. The whole the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy, 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 holy. 
The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Holy, holy, holy are you, God Almighty, Lord of all the earth. We praise your holy name. You are our God, present and protecting. Guide us as we pray. We are stumbling, Lord, putting ourselves before you. We come to pray, asking our agendas be met, distracted by our own hopes and desires, leaning often on other resources and powers to make our plans a reality. Lord of all nations, in the last 10 days, America seems united in fear, hurt, disillusionment, indignation, and shock. Whether right-winged in politics or left, whether rich or poor, no matter color or education, we are broken, alienated from those who do not align with our views. We are watching a nation that has been a friend to the world, fought for justice, brought peace, and helped those in distress. Now we see a country that is faltering. Violence in words and deeds has become the agenda of the nation. Even as Christ followers, many of us have lost our way, 
looking to politics and power rather than to our sovereign Lord. Forgive us again. Restore us as sisters and brothers in Christ without agendas of worldview or winning, but of contrite hearts and a desire to have you reign in all our lives. Let your justice prevail. Let your love be evident in all we do. Let your peace carry the day. Protect this nation and all who are here, whether citizens or sojourners. Put your shield about us. As the day draws near for the inauguration, we pray for President-elect Joe Biden. May his faith in you be central in all he does as he serves. Let his work be guided by your Holy Spirit, exercising your kingdom present. Let us honor the office to which he is called. Protect him and his family, as well as Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and her family. May this coming Wednesday be a day of peace, a day of renewal, a day where your presence is known. We pray for President Donald Trump as he moves out of office and faces a difficult road ahead. Let your gracious love fill him and comfort him through your son, Jesus. Restore him to a right relationship with you where he finds his new calling to serve and honor. Protect and be with his family as well as Vice President Mike Pence and his family. Lord God, bless chaplains Black and Kibben as they minister to the members of Congress and their families. We give you thanks and praise that their prayers and presence are a calming balm in the midst of uncertainty. Help us, Lord God, to behave as they do, united in your rule, in order to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. We ask in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The friends who are gathered here on Zoom are here to be ordained and installed as elders and deacons for the Village Community Presbyterian Church. So as we all gather now, we remember that there are different gifts, but it's the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving God, but it is the same Lord who is served. God works through different people in different ways, but it is the same God who achieves his purpose through them all. Each one is given a gift by the Spirit to use for the common good, for together we are the body of Christ and individually members of him. Though we have different gifts, together we are a ministry of reconciliation led by the risen Christ. We work and pray to make his church useful in the world, and we call men and women to faith, so that in the end every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Within our common ministry, some members are chosen for particular work as teaching elders, ruling elders, or deacons. In ordination, we recognize these particular forms of ministry, remembering that our Lord Jesus said, whoever among you wants to be great must become the servant of all. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. And so, friends, 
I would invite you now to answer these questions of ordination and installation because God has called you through the voice of the church and through the spirit of Christ in a special way. Please state your will and your commitment as you answer these questions. Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you? I do. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church, as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you? I do. Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of scripture and be continually guided by our confessions, will you? I will. Will you be governed by our church's polity, and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit, will you? I will. Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world, will you? I will. Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church, do you? I do. Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, will you? I will. I will. For those of you serving as elders, Will you be a faithful ruling elder, watching over the people, providing for their worship and nurture and service? Will you share in government and discipline, serving in councils of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? I will. I will. For those of you serving as deacons, will you be faithful deacons, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need. And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? I will. And now for the congregation, as you witness this ordination and installation service, I have two questions for you. Do you, the members of the church, accept these friends before us as ruling elders or deacons? chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ. Do you? If so, wherever you are and whenever you're watching, say, I do. do. And then, do you agree to pray for them, to encourage them, to respect their decisions, and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Again, wherever you are, do you agree? Say, I do. Thank you. And now, friends, let me invite you wherever and whenever you are to reach out your hand toward your computer screen or your iPhone or your iPad or your television, however you're watching, 
and then let us symbolically lay hands on these brothers and sisters and let's pray for them. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for these sisters and brothers who have been called by your voice through the life of the church to serve you in particular ways. I thank you for their willingness, for their courage, for their desire to follow you and in their following then to lead us in ministry, in service, and in making our congregation a beacon of hope and joy and faith and truth to the whole world. Bless and be with them in their work and give them every good gift that they need, including the gift of our encouragement that they may serve you well and lead all of us into more faithful service to your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
begin our time in the scriptures with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. Calm us now, O Lord, into a quietness that heals and listens. Open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us in clear tones so that we might feel our spirits leap for joy and skip with hope as your resurrection witnesses. Amen. A reading from the book of Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Then one of the sea rafts flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The sea raft touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And now a reading from the first letter to Timothy. The saying is sure, whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and certainly not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keep his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be serious, not double-tongued, not indulging in much wine, not greedy for money. They must hold fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them first be tested. Then, if they prove themselves blameless, let them serve as deacons. Women, likewise, must be serious, not slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be married only once and let them manage their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain in good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these instructions to you so that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's talk about leadership today. In the past few months, our country has been focused on our national leaders. Tomorrow, we will celebrate a leader in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. Wednesday, we will see the transition in the power and the place and position of the most powerful leadership position in the world. And of course, today we are ordaining and installing leaders for our church. And so you and I perhaps are thinking more than usual about the business of leaders and leadership. What can we say about leadership? Well, I want to make a few comments of what leadership is about, what we expect in the character and qualities of our leaders, who our leaders are meant to be, how we choose them. Maybe as we're thinking specifically about church leadership, especially as it's defined and discussed in the scriptures, we'll be thinking about all leaders in every quadrant of life. Number one, let's recognize that God calls people to leadership. God calls them through the voice of his spirit. The Spirit then speaks through the voice of the people, and I'll say more about that in a moment, but all leadership in the life of the church originates with God's call. God is looking for people to lead in his church. In the story of Isaiah, the Lord says, Whom shall I send? Who will be a person to speak my word and to lead my people into truth and into righteousness? In the early church, when the assembled community of believers gathered together, they, they asked God, who are you calling to serve in leadership? Now, we know that Jesus chose the original 12 disciples, but then after Jesus was gone, it was up to the disciples to choose among themselves, and they always began by first asking who God was calling to leadership. Now, in the Presbyterian Church, we believe that God calls many kinds of people in many different ways to leadership. Leadership is not granted by divine right. Leadership is not granted by the succession of birth. Leadership is not granted simply because someone comes and takes it. But leadership first is given because of the call of God. And then, of course, the second point, people answer the call of God. As we look at how Isaiah responded to God's call in his life, the first thing that Isaiah tells us is that he did not believe himself to be qualified or capable of being a leader. He said to God, I am a man of unclean lips. How can I speak your word and in that way lead your people? Perhaps one of the most important qualities of a leader 
has two sides to it. The first side is reliance on God and then humility before God and before everyone else. Isaiah realized that the task of leadership in and for God's people was not something that he himself could do by himself. In fact, he needed the power, the authority, the inspiration, the guidance of God. And so when we look for church leaders, we look for people who rely on God and first ask for God to fill them with what they need. And then we look for people who are humble as they follow God and serve God's purposes. In Paul's letter to Timothy, we have that same dynamic discussed. As Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, look, when you're looking for church leaders, for bishops or elders or deacons or whatever you want to call them, take someone who's not a recent convert or they'll be puffed up with conceit and will fall into the condemnation of the devil. Paul had experienced too often those who wanted to come forward to lead the church because of their own pride, their own certainty, and their ability to lead, their ability to discern what God wanted. But Paul said to Timothy, no, Wait until people have been seasoned and tested. Wait until someone has proven their wisdom and their ability to lead with humility and respect. Then, of course, Paul gives a long list of qualifications for those who will lead the church. To mention just a few of them, he says, they must be above reproach, respectable, good managers, teachers, not greedy, gentle, defenders and promoters of the faith. Now, as we read through that long list, we leaders especially, if we are humble, realize that we do not get 100% of that. We are not perfect. And yet, this is the list of that to which we aspire. This is one list, you could add to that list, I'm sure, of the qualities and the competencies that we require in order to lead in the church. Do we fail sometimes? Of course we do. Do we live up to it completely? Of course we do not. But this is what God has laid before us as the qualities that we expect and the qualities that we need. It requires reliance on God and humility before God so that we'll listen. The third thing I want to mention is that leadership is a noble task. I decided to focus on that word noble, in a sense, for this entire message because that word has struck me lately as being highly, highly uh, uh, illustrative, if you will, of what we're after in the life of the church. Nobility. Not nobility in the old-fashioned sense of those who think that they're better than anybody else, those who by virtue of their birth are considered to be better than anybody else. No, that's what not, not what nobility is is in Scripture. Notice that Paul talks about a noble task. The job requires nobility. The job itself, the role of leadership, is a noble thing. 
And God help us, we find people that can live up to that. You see, leading the church is a noble task because without good leaders for the church, the church suffers. And the church needs to be a powerful, productive, positive force in society. The church needs to be healthy, not for the sake of the church itself, but for the sake of those who live within the life of the church and then equally for those whom the church reaches out to serve and to call into life and fellowship with God. Paul says to Timothy that the church is the pillar and the bulwark of the truth. The truth. What is the truth? Paul here is speaking about the truth as it relates to our actual knowledge of God and the truth as we live in a truthful way in the world, not just telling the truth, but knowing and believing and acting on what is actually right and important and good, what we might say is righteous. It is a noble task, a worthy task, for people to step forward to lead the church in becoming and being that institution that represents what the human community is meant to be and that invites people into that community. And so in the church, when we elect our leaders, we seek to encourage them and support them and hold them accountable, yes, to be sure. We do not automatically tear down our leaders and turn our backs on them, but we pray for them. Now, noble leadership requires noble people, and again, nobody is perfectly noble. But there are those who answer the call of God and agree to try, to do their best, to seek in humility, to listen to God's word, and to God's word as it's expressed in faithful and wise counselors and colleagues among them. That's what helps us ensure that we have great leaders for the church. Now let me say just another word about the Presbyterian way of seeking leaders and the Presbyterian way of providing leadership for the church. I'm talking about that not because I believe that Presbyterians are more beloved by God. I suppose it's possible that God loves somebody other than Presbyterians. I'm joking, of course. But let's talk about what Presbyterian governance is all about. We believe that the way we structure and organize the church is grounded in the Scriptures, that we see the, the, the example of how we are to organize ourselves as a human community that follows God. We see it in the Scriptures, even in the Old Testament. God said to Moses, Moses, you need help in leading. Select people who are proven leaders to help you lead. We believe in the Presbyterian system, as I've mentioned, that, that we listen to God's voice first, and then God's voice is expressed in a very practical sort of way through the voice of the people. You who are members of the congregation of the Village Church have voted, each one of you, 
in order to choose your leaders. In that sense, we are a representative democracy. In the Presbyterian Church, we believe that there must be high standards and accountability for leaders. You have listened as our elders and deacons have answered in the affirmative a long list of questions about their commitment to the scriptures, to the truth, to the faithful practice of their work as leaders. We also believe in sharing power. The Presbyterian Church has no single person who is the ultimate authority of all things. It's a common joke in our system that we can't get anything done because everything is done by committees. There's an element of truth in that. But the reason that we share power with each other is so that together we can seek God's voice and so that no single person rises above everybody else. We have a system that is based on checks and balances and based in constitutional law. I mentioned earlier that our Book of Order and our Book of Confessions are the constitution of the Presbyterian Church. In both books, we seek to crystallize scriptural truth and knowledge about who we are to be and how we are to operate. And I, as an ordained officer in the church, just like our elders and deacons, have made a promise, as they all have made, to obey and to follow and to seek to manifest the truth of that constitution. Now, you may have noticed that there is some degree of consonance, some degree of similarity between the way that Presbyterians run the church and the way that our American federal system of government is organized, and that's not by accident. It was the Presbyterian way of structuring the church that had a very important influence in the founding people who put our nation together. That's another story that we'll have to tell another time. But for now, for now, as we ordain and install new leaders for our church, and as we think about the leaders of our world, let's remember these things. That our church and our nation and our world thrive as God blesses us with his spirit, as we answer the call that he issues forth in humility and reliance on him. We are blessed as God blesses us with noble leaders. And so we do our best to encourage and uphold and nurture those who lead us. Let us pray then for everyone in leadership for our elders, for our deacons, of course, for our pastors who need your prayers. Let us pray for leaders everywhere that we might be blessed as they follow the Lord and lead us in following him too. Amen.
favorite question out of all of those that are in the list that we use as we ordain and install new leaders for the church. My favorite question is this one. Will you serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Frequently, I ask myself that question as I go about my work, the work that God, I believe, has called me to in being your pastor, and that you agreed to over 22 years ago. Energy, intelligence, imagination, and love, that's a pretty good list by which to judge our leaders, by which to pray for our leaders, and not a bad question for all of us to think about as we seek to follow the only leader who truly counts, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you his peace today and always. Amen. Amen.